podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, I'm Gareth Roberts and this is an Anfield Rap special. I am down in the big London, the big smoke, uh, with Marvin Sordell. Um, if you don't know who Marvin is, he is a 28-year-old former centre-forward, uh, 15 caps for England under-21s, represented Great Britain at the Olympics also. Uh, played 17 times in the Premier League with Burnley and Bolton. Uh, once upon a time was a £3 million striker as well, moving from Watford to Bolton. And almost two, 200 games in the Championship with clubs including Burton Albion, Watford, Charlton and Coventry. Even a brief spell at Tranmere Rovers in there as well. Uh, Marvin, the reason I've come down is, first of all, to talk about your football career. Also, uh, why you've taken the decision to end your football career at 28 years old. And then we'll, get, we'll be getting into sort of what you're up to now and why we're putting this podcast out at the time we're putting it out but let's let's sort of start at the start then because I, I, I guess people will be wondering straight away people who haven't heard of you why has he jacked it in at 28 years old yeah well we'll come on to that but I want to get into the sort of how it all started for you first off you know when did your love for football develop when did you decide right I'm aiming to be a professional footballer I've always known, to be honest. I couldn't even tell you when it first came about because it's, it's since I've ever known, I've always known that I wanted to be a professional football player. Loved playing football, loved watching football. I was a massive Arsenal fan as a kid. Um, grew up watching Ian Wright, Nicholas Anelka, then Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp. And football was just, it's not even something that has ever been in my family, actually. but. I just took to it, loved it, and that was my goal from very early. Now, what one of the things we'll, we'll, we'll get into and we'll talk about, and I know you've talked about this before, is people, when we talk about you know the reasons you've retired and, and, what you, and the causes you're now champion, people who don't get it, and there's still plenty of these people in the world, unfortunately, will listen to it, I guess, or see it and go, well, you know, centre forward, playing professionally, earning decent wages, what is there not to enjoy about that but there are aspects of the game you certainly didn't enjoy it that's fair to say isn't it yeah um, I think as well as over the last few weeks I think a couple of months even really I think at the start of this season there have been a lot of incidents um, a lot of different cases of players being abused um, racially um, bullying that that has come to light and other little things in the industry which have nothing to do with me but just prove my point really of what I know the industry is what a lot of players don't speak about what the industry is like you know for I think the players that outside of that that real niche bubble right at the top everybody that comes outside of that and falls in the category outside of that sees the real side of football what football really can be like and if you're fortunate enough to earn good money along the way then you kind of let it go and if you're unfortunate enough that you don't have anything else to go into outside of the game then you also let it go but I mean, people will look at it, and I've done it myself, where you, you talk about football almost in two ways. So I, I want football to to care about young players and things like yeah. that. And we, we, we just had an issue around this at, at Liverpool in, in yeah, Bobby so. Duncan. 
And so, you know, you've got the manager now sort of going in front of the press and saying, we know we don't, we definitely do care about young players. No one truly knows what's going on behind the scenes there, but I think as soon as, you know, mental health is cited, then, you know, no one knows what's going on inside someone else's head. So we can't, we can't say from the outside, this is what Bobby Duncan was thinking, mm. this was how he was treated. But at the same time as well, I think we'll all acknowledge at times, oh, well, you know, X isn't good enough and, and the club needs to be ruthless then. And, and, and almost there's, there's those things constantly going on, isn't there? We want football in one way to be ruthless as football fans because we want to win things, we want to see trophies. And then on the same time, we're also saying, but we want our club to be caring. I think what's changed over the last few years, maybe the last four or five years in particular, I'd say is the money. The money has always been very good, but now the money is outrageous yeah. at the top. And, you know, it's... it's reflected in the, the way it's stripped down to the bottom end of the Premier League the top end of the Championship and so people's empathy and sympathy levels have you know, dropped the way the money has risen and there are many cases of things like the situation with you know, the, the kid of Liverpool now a lot, that happens a lot, you know, cases like that happen a lot, whereas I think in this situation, the agent's not helped. Yeah. I think if, if he personally came out and then and said how he was feeling and, and was public with that, people would have more empathy with him. It's difficult to hear it from somebody else's mouth, yeah, I yeah. think, especially from a fan's perspective, because fans don't like agents, understandably so, because they just make profit off, mm. you know, where, you know, their services aren't exactly seen to be useful. But cases like that happen all the time. You know, players, again, I, I don't know what's, what's, you know, just like you said, I, I have no idea what's happened. I don't yeah. know what's in the player's head. I don't know what conversations have been had. I don't know what promises have been made or broken. Nobody knows really and unless he comes out and says himself, you know, his agent could say anything. His agent could be telling the truth, but Nobody knows, nobody's going to just take his word for it because they don't really know. And so it's very difficult from anybody else's perspective to, to really empathise with that. And, but from his perspective, it's, it's hard to probably have that conversation in the public at his age. 18-year-old lad. Yeah. You know, this, not just at his age and his situation, but how early in his career he is. Yeah. He's not an established player. Yeah. So him coming out potentially and saying... For example, if the case was promises were broken, nobody would probably touch him after that because he's speaking about a huge club, huge manager, European champions, speaking against them, and it would sound as if he's speaking out of turn. Yeah. And a young player speaking out of turn doesn't go down well in yeah, football. Yeah, yeah. You know, even if what he's saying is right, it doesn't go down well in football, and that would harm his career massively. And this is where agents come in a lot of the time because the agents will speak on the player's behalf because then the agent will take the stick as opposed to the player. I mean, in this case, it's been unfortunate that both have taken, been, have taken both barrels from the yeah, club yeah. and from the media and 
the fans as well. We've got he's got his move now. Um, it seems anyway. Uh, the latest news on that is that he, he is going out to Fiorentina. Yeah. But you know, as as we as we're both saying here, I don't think we 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 truly know what's gone on behind the scenes. But for me. I just felt, you know, an alarm bell rang the meet the, the the moment that mental health is 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 mentioned. Mm. You look around on Twitter and you can see people saying, "Well, that just seems convenient," and that's this and that's yeah. that, and 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 that that's the unfortunate bit mm. for me. I think that's the bit that you've got to take seriously and say, "Okay, well, whatever else went on in that statement, and the statement was yeah. mad, and the action of the agent was a bit weird, and all the rest of it," but. When that bit's mentioned, we just have to. For me, I just take that as our face value and say, well, that may well be the case mm. because he may want to leave, but he may want to leave and have mental health issues. Yeah. He may be a bit brash, a bit arrogant, and have mental. You know, yeah. it, it, there's no. It doesn't have to be either or, does it? And I, I think with yourself and the, and the stories you've already put out there, Marvin. Well, when did it come to your mind? When did you start thinking, hang on, this whole world, football, the dream? isn't quite what I imagine because you know when when I first asked you the question about how did you get into football you had a smile on your face you're obviously thinking about you know when you first fell in love with the yeah. game at what point in the game did you start to think this is making me this is putting me in a dark place I think it's when I was actually at the highest you know when you know, I'd, I'd, after I'd got that move you know I was playing for the 21s I was play, I played in the Olympics around that time was very difficult for me actually because I had a lot of pressure on me because you know I'd gone for a reasonable amount of money yeah I was playing international football and quite a lot was expected of me and I was expected to perform straight away and it was very difficult because it was very different in as an environment and circumstances to where I previously was at Watford you know at Watford I didn't have the pressure because not much was expected from Watford as a club. Watford were a lot smaller as a club and a lot poorer as a club than they are now. You know, the club just wanted to survive in the championship and balance the books every year. That was what it was, produce academy players, sell them on for a profit and you know keep going. And the fans wanted it to be entertained, win, lose or draw, to be entertained, to have players represent a club to work hard, etc. And for me, I just enjoyed just going out there playing with a bunch of teammates who I saw as friends, some beyond that. And moving to a completely different environment, away from home, away from friends, into a much bigger mentality in, in terms of the club and the aspirations and the expectations, I found it very difficult because, mm. you know, I was only 20 when I moved and, you know, I have the same thing as anyone when you're moving away from home. The first thing you need to do is find somewhere to live. Now, I was living in, I lived in a hotel for, I can't even remember how long now. And I didn't know, know anybody. I was probably, I think maybe other than one or two, I was the youngest by a long way in the in the dressing room. So I didn't really have many places for common ground with a lot of my teammates at that time. And so I didn't really do much with them off the field. So a lot of the time I spent was on my own and then I wasn't playing. And I was getting a lot of abuse for things that I was doing in my spare time. You know, <laughs> I was 
cooking or watching football or playing piano. Things that aren't harm, harming anyone, but these are things that people didn't like because I a wasn't playing or when I was playing, probably wasn't playing that great, and I found that that period very difficult and. I would say there were underlying issues way before that, but everything really came to a head around that time. And did you feel you were sort of managed or helped at all at that time, or is it as you're describing, and that you were just basically left to to deal with this? Because I mean, you know, I was doing a, I was talking to Stephen Warnock, who I know you've played with uh, only the other day, and we were talking about sort of some of the challenges that that almost are unseen and one of the things he said actually funny enough was you know lads if they're at a football club they're young they're in a hotel and he said and if they're single as well and he said you know so they're basically fairly lonely when they're kicking about in the day fairly lonely again at night and you know regardless of what money you're earning that's not nice yeah and you know somebody's it's, I mean it's common in football for players to, to drink and to gamble yeah it's less so now because players are a lot more health conscious. It's, it's, it's difficult to be at it every day if you're drinking, if you're having late nights all the time. It's, it is very difficult, yeah. you, you get found out. And you know, most, of these, most people just want to play football and they just want to enjoy playing football. But you know, being on your own for a, a prolonged period of time, it gives you a lot of time to think as well. And if you're, particularly, if you're not particularly very happy and you're, you've got a lot of time to think about it as well, you know, it can be quite a predicament to find yourself in. And, and it can be quite destructive in that you, you start to sort of almost invent stories, don't you, in your head? So you're like, so you, you, you'd maybe at that time be going home and analysing every single thing that was said to you in training or every single thing the manager said or everything a teammate said to you. I mean, you know, you mentioned about sort of your hobbies outside of football almost were, were sneered at a little bit. <laughs> I mean, what was that about? What happened? What happened there? Um, so I was at the time I was one of, the, you know, I'm, I'm as a person I like to try and self-develop, yeah. you know, as much as I can. I, I like to find new interests, new things to do. I wanted to learn to play the piano because I love music, and I thought it's probably it's it's one of the safest things that I can do without getting stick. I yeah. thought <laughs> because a I'm not harming anyone. I'm not. It's not taking up any of my energy, and you know, it's quite a productive thing to do, yeah. I thought. And cooking, you know, you, if you don't cook, you know, you're living on your own, you're not gonna eat and yeah. you're not gonna survive, so yeah. I had to, <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the time, that's what, that's how I spilled my spare time, and you know, I, I was seeing a doctor at the time for, you know, who, who they diagnosed me with depression and said, you need to go to the Priory for a couple of weeks. Obviously, I said, that's not possible because yeah. I'm a football player. <laughs> and there's no way that they'd say, yeah, you can just go off for two weeks. So they paid a lot of money for me. I'm on good wages. There's no chance. And, you know, the doctor said, just ask. I didn't ask. I never mentioned it. I never mentioned anything to the club. They didn't. They weren't particularly emotional. Um, empathetic with my situation. I mean, anybody would have seen a mile off that I wasn't in a great place, but I don't think anybody really cared that much. But it wasn't until, you no, know, I can't remember how long afterwards, but 
somehow someone at the club found out that I was potentially going to the Priory. No idea how. Still to this day, I have no idea how. And they called my mum, of all people, and said, why is Marvin doing that? He needs to concentrate on football. Why is Marvin, you know, thinking of going to the Priory? Why is he cooking? Why is he playing the piano? He needs to concentrate on football. My mum called me. She didn't know any of, you know, the situation I was in at the time. And she was like, she didn't understand what was going on. Mm. And I thought, well, I, can't, I cannot believe that not only do, not only did they call my mum, which my mum literally had not, at that time, she had nothing to do with you know, what was going on in my career. But then they also know that that's going on and just completely ignore that. I mean, that's a, a break of confidence, if, if, if nothing else as well, isn't yeah, it? And, 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 and not very helpful as well, as you say, to no. just say, well, all right, we'll just crack on with your football. I mean, do you think do you think we are... I mean, this is sort of, what, about six years ago or so now for you. Um, do you think we're... There's lots of... There's more talk now, isn't there, in football about mental health, at yeah. least. Talk over action, maybe. But... Do you think it's a little better than it was then? Because, I mean, you, you know, I look at the example of, of Lee Griffiths maybe in, at Celtic. Mm. You know, he's been very open about, what, about his problems. The club, at least publicly, have been quite supportive. And it, it's led, you know, to a lot of media and everything around it, which has been fairly positive, I think. And he's now come back again. So do you think if you'd had your time again, it, w- it, w- it would be different? Or do you think there's maybe lots and lots of people still in football who do want to put their hand up and say what, what you did eventually say because they're worried about the consequences? There are a lot of players who wouldn't. I've, I've spoken to players who have also said they're in, they feel the same or similar and they can't talk about it, they can't make these the same decision I've made. I mean, I'm very fortunate that I've got other things I'm, I've been focused on for quite some time and but you know, a lot of players don't have that. They get told to just concentrate on football from you know, 10 years old and that's it. That is literally it until they get to 35 and then they say, what now? I think the change rooms are better. You know, I've, in my time as a professional, I saw the change room develop a lot and very quickly. People are a lot more emotionally intelligent now mm. than I think. Maybe, maybe they're not more emotionally intelligent, but they're more willing to have these discussions. You no, know, not just about depression or mental health, but just about emotions, about about things that are bigger than football. You know, politics, whatever it may be. Discussions that didn't used to happen in change rooms are, are now being had, which I think is very important because you know football is a part of society, and these are the topics that have been discussed in society. Clubs, I think are supported publicly. Some are very supportive. Some, some, it's hard to say clubs. I think some people in football mm. are very supportive. Some people are not. A lot of people are not. But publicly they will be because it's not possible to, to discuss this in a negative light in public without yeah. having your, your reputation tarnished. Yeah. And the public are, and fans, media are very, very receptive and very positive. No, I've not felt an ounce of negativity towards me since I 
first I'd started having this discussion and, and since I've continued to because you know I've been very honest of yeah. about how I feel situations I've been in and that's just the reality of the emotions that I've I've felt along my you know journey of life but so I, I don't think that I, that players now would find it difficult to have this discussion but I can understand why they wouldn't initially do so because again like I said if you're outside that that micro bubble you know one you, you say one thing and your performances start to slip then you might not be protected yeah if you're slightly down the lower end and you're seen as if you're not seen as an indispensable player the chances are that you know the club will use that as a way to get you out and get someone in that's younger and cheaper I mean, you, you've been very open, Marvin, about the, the, the very darkest times of, of your depression, and uh, which happened during your football career. And you know, you, there was an attempt on you took an, an attempt on your life. It obviously, emerged the other side of that. And how, how did you emerge the other side of that? I mean, you've obviously had help. You've obviously spoke to people, and you're now doing so publicly as well. But you know, just for people listening who maybe find themselves in a similar place where you know what 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 did you go through and then how did you emerge again from the other side well I was literally at breaking point at that you know during that time and it's, it's hard to say how I got through it because at the time I didn't see a way through it you know, yeah I woke up the next day after you know t an attempt on on my life and I didn't really see any positivity I didn't see new lease on life I didn't yeah. see a way forward I just thought well that didn't work I need to go to work today. Yeah. <laughs> and just carried on trudging through life really essentially at that point. But beyond that, I I mean I spoke to, I, I wrote a lot and I still write a lot. Um, I wrote a lot of poetry at that time. I wrote both poetry and prose. And for me that was a massive way for me to get my emotions out because I've never been a you know, I've I've kind of become better at it, but I've never been good at speaking about my how I feel and how my emotions. And that was a massive thing for me, being able to do that. Because it helped me to just, A, it got everything down, kind of got everything out, and I could then share that just with someone a lot easier than you know, if, if I had that conversation yeah. initially. And you know, I was very surprised that you know, the people around me were very warming and understanding. And then beyond that, I, I Look to just try and find as many things as possible that made me happy, and that was as simple as that. You know, football was something that made me unhappy for different times. Um, you no, know, came to a point see now that I've finished my career because football was the thing that made me unhappy. But I just wanted to do as many things that made me happy. You know, I was learning to fly, playing the piano, learning language, spending time with friends. That, so that was it. When you when you say football made you unhappy, do you, was it? Because I, I go back again to the fact that you know you you, had, you have a smile on your face when you recall the, fair, the the early days of playing football. So you obviously had a joy of actually playing football. Did you lose yes. that, or did you? Was it just more the the culture of football, the dressing room, the training ground? Was it that bit that was getting you down, and then it was relieved when you were actually on the pitch, or did it stretch to being on the pitch as well? It did stretch to 
on the pitch as well. But as I've, I've tried to fight to maintain my love for playing football, as you know, that's that is one of the reasons why I decided to retire because I love playing football. Mm. I want I want to continue to love playing football, and that was I felt over a long period of time it was overtaking that you know my love for playing the game because I was doing a. No, I'd go into training and not enjoy being at training, which for me was just un wasn't normal. You no, know, towards I think the latter end of my career, I lo I loved going into training. I loved training every day and and just having fun really. And occasionally on a match day, I'd I'd get that back and and feel you know I'm just gonna have fun. I'm just gonna enjoy it. But a lot of the time it was just I I don't. Like being out here, being in the, in the under the, the spotlight, in the in the public eye, um, and just a bit feeling like I'm I'm just being placed under scrutiny. Yeah, I think that's one thing I didn't enjoy. And whether that was from fans, from the media, from coaching staff, from other players, you know, there's there's there are pressures in several different forms and. It was a very close knit industry. You know, everybody kind of knows everybody in, in that sense because you know, players move a lot these days, and so people talk, and you know, a lot of the time people talk negatively about yeah. other people, and so which you know, things that aren't nice to hear. Really. And so for me as well, that just added to it. You know, I think being a professional footballer is made up of Playing football and everything else. Playing football is just such a small part of being a professional football yeah. player, and it's. I think as time is going on, it's becoming less and less because there are so many things that contribute to the career of a football player and to contribute towards a successful career of a player. You know, I in previous times I had deals fall through because. Um, I had clubs looking at my social media and saying that I don't fit the ethos of their club because I'd had disagreements with fans on social media. But that is the reality of where we're at today. As much as we may like it, dislike it, whatever, that's just how it is. That that that's some level of control over your life, that though, isn't it? Yeah, that's unbelievable. Um, I mean. Um, did, did you feel it? I mean, you mentioned the scrutiny, the, the, the being under the spotlight, the fans, the media and everything else. Did, did you feel that to the point where it was affecting your natural game? Would, would, would you make decisions that you wouldn't have ordered? So, I mean, I, I feel like I've seen this happen to players, players who've been at Liverpool. One that, rightly or wrongly, I always use as an example is I remember Stuart Downham coming to Liverpool and, you know, big transfer fee. He was going to set up a lot of goals for Liverpool. He's going to link with Andy Carroll, all that kind of stuff. He seemed to me to be someone, when he first came to Liverpool, was absolutely flying. He, it was a shot he had from 30-odd yards that hit the bar. And I still say to this day, was that a bit of a sliding doors for him? If it had gone in, would we have seen a difference, Stuart Downer? As it was, the, you could almost see the pressure starting to drag him down and he started to become less confident on the ball. He started to just, you know, lay an easy pass where previously you would have seen him try and beat two or three men. And then it got to the point where I think he 
whatever was going on inside his own head and I'm not trying to analyse him too much here but he scored and cupped his ear to, to Liverpool fans to say mm. this is what I can do <laughs> and you've all been harsh to me and, and that, that to me said it, it, it all it, it got to him was it like that for you was it you know you, you almost turned into a different player it's like that for every player even if players don't want to admit it the freedom comes from the people who are watching and the people who are discussing your game if people saying you're playing great and you almost feel like you can do anything try anything then you play great yeah because every player plays best when they play on their natural instinct yeah because that is what's got them to where they are that's why you see players who after a big money transfer sometimes it, it just doesn't work and try you see them do things you think why did he make that decision why didn't he just hit that first time why didn't he play that pass why did he turn down that that pass why did he turn down that shot or why didn't he take, put his foot in there why didn't he just take a step forward and, or why, why is he running back towards his own goal because that split second is indecision because they think well if I try that it's a risk if the risk doesn't pay off it's going to be worse and you, you find players then going into their comfort zones mm. and it may potentially work for defensive players because it's probably slightly easier to to play in your comfort zone as a defensive yeah. player but as an attacking player if you play in your comfort zone then especially when you're playing under scrutiny you're playing at a big club with big pressure and big what's the word expectations then you have to play on the edge really you have to you have to play with risk because you're not going to see great goals or great skill or, or great moments this is why Liverpool are where they are now because regardless of anything you see Klopp the way he encourages the players even when he first came in and it wasn't going great he'd still encourage his players yeah. and he'd still most of the time he'd take the flight because he probably knew that his his job wasn't under pressure so he doesn't have to single players out because he knows that it's, eventually things are going to turn around because football is a very now it's a very very quick business things managers change players change everything changes just overnight mm. almost and you see now the players playing with so much freedom so much confidence and it almost seems like they're running 100 miles an hour to, at the end of the game when other teams are knackered and it's the same with Man City you, you look at you know, Liverpool fans probably won't like this but Raheem Sterling as, yeah. as an example for a couple of years well probably not a couple of years but uh, there was a spell at, at no a few years ago at, when he was at City where he felt a bit weighed down you know the pressures from being at England and the media and all of a sudden now he's being talked about as one of the best players in the world yeah. and people will say that's Pep Guardiola it, Pep Guardiola is a great coach but the freedom that he's been allowed to have when he goes on the pitch now allows him to go out and, and do what he wants and, and play with freedom same as when he first came through playing at Liverpool because I think at that point he's a young player when a young player comes through and starts playing everyone just allows them mistakes because yeah. they're young when you make a big move 
you're not young. It doesn't matter how old you are. You're not just a young doe anymore. You're a player who costs big money. Yeah. And so you don't have the the same room for, for error as other players. But th- this is where it, it sort of doesn't quite add up to me and, and almost seems counterproductive the way I hear that some people act in football, if you like, because if, if we accept that, it's basically down to mentality and down to small things, you know, get the right conditions and all the rest of it. And surely the mind should be right at the top of the list and how you treat players should be right at the top of the, the list. And yet we still seem to have this sort of machoism that that you know it, it ru- macho rules doesn't it in dressing rooms it seems still certainly lower down and there's the so, so you know don't show any pain don't show any weakness man up mm. all that kind of stuff and while while the conversation around that's getting better you know you've been in more dressing rooms than I have I, I suspect that that kind of attitude still exists and is quite prevalent actually I, I think the change rooms are probably the best place for it I think that's it's cha- from what I've seen, it's changing the dressing rooms, and the pl- the players that you play with and, and you see every day are the ones who are going to support you more than the other players around the other not players the other members of staff at the club. And I feel that players to now are more together and more supportive of each other in that sense than ever before. And I think it is uh, it. That, that mentality of man up either comes from football clubs the media or sometimes from fans as well yeah because you'll literally get the shout won't you from stands you know you, you, you go down with an injury you're expected to jump back up again you're expected to you know be yeah. the big man equally around mental health as much as it's a more positive conversation I'm sure you've seen yourself you don't have to look very far to mm-hmm. find people who, who are still negative about it I mean in terms of a sort of a support network and I know you're starting you've been working bits with the FA you're working with the Calm campaign and things like that you know it's obviously an area you now want to get into you want to advise on what what, what do you want to see in football what, what's realistic to expect from football around mental health I've many times said what I'd like which is every football club to have a mental health professional of some capacity whether that's full time whether that's part time whether it's once a week once a month just somewhere that somebody that players can go to that they know is in confidence not employed by the club but employed by whether it's the PFA the FA the league Um, someone that players can go to in confidence have a conversation with somebody that's part of the the dressing room in a sense that they're on the playing style side where they can see the players can see if a player is not right they'd mm. be able to tell if they're professional they'd be able to tell um, I don't think that's a, an unrealistic ask you know I've posed this question actually to the PFA themselves I've had this question this I, I said this to them this is why I feel that needs, that we need they said to me that they've thought about that but he didn't think that players would want it I said well I'm a player and I've never heard you ask me mm. <laughs> and I've never heard this question being asked so how do you know and do you, th- do you think it would that need to be something maybe based on what we talked about and based on some of the attitudes that exist would it need to be something perhaps that was available in confidence that you know they could the players could somehow go and see someone in it and it almost not get back to the rest of the I mean that that's very difficult to manage but and, and it seems silly to say but 
if it was that way, if it was that way around that you could go and speak to someone and you'd know it wasn't like, you know, what happened to you. Yeah. It wasn't going to get back to the chairman, the manager, etc. You could just go and have a conversation and say, listen, I don't feel right. Do you think yeah. it, it would be better to, to aim for something like that? that yeah, you know? I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you just need one, you could have a person that covers a few clubs in their area. Yeah. You know, that, that they make a, their way around the clubs. You might have four or five clubs and they can do one you know one each day and then see a club once a week and then the players have a go-to somebody they can they can text they can call just somebody that they can speak to and that if they know that's in confidence then a lot of players will speak to that yeah. person I think that's, a, that's the problem now is that for you to speak to someone where if you're not in a great place you probably have to go to your physio or your doctor who work for the club who report to the manager or you call the PFA the PFA then give you a number to call and then you speak to that person and then you get to make an appointment so you probably speak to two or three people about and you know speaking to each person about how you feel and where you're at before you actually get to see someone to deal with it which it's quite a, a flawed system, really, I think. Because if you're calling somebody, you're probably, you know, right at the end. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems strange to me, again, and I, I'm sort of making the same points again, but, you know, even at Liverpool, I know that, not around mental health specifically, but under Brendan Rodgers, Steve Peters came in, yeah. and he was available to talk to if you wanted to talk to him. Now, it, was, it always remained confidential about what players did go but it's sort of well known that a series of them did go mm. to see him and, and then talked about, you know, one or two of them talked about him really positively afterwards. And, and they weren't alone either. You know, you've obviously got people like Ronnie O'Sullivan. Um, you know, he's seen Steve Peters and other people around that and talked about how how it helped him carry on winning, how it was huge on his life and all that kind of thing. And I just think when you've got this huge body of evidence, it seems mad that, you know, you're still... You're having a conversation with the people at the PFA and they're sort of shrugging the shoulders a little bit about it and saying, mm, well, I'm not sure. I mean, what, what's there to not be sure about? It's it's 100% an issue, isn't it? And, you know, I was going to say to you as yes. well, in, in football, there are so many potential trigger points as well, aren't there? So, you, I mean, you've touched on some of them already. Not being selected as one, you know, an injury is another one. I mean, you know, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's just come through a year of injury yeah. at Liverpool. And I genuinely thought about him a lot and thought, that must be so tough. And Jürgen Klopp was asked about it and he said, with some players, we, we, we almost get a physiotherapist to, to buddy up to them and, and constantly be looking after them. Yeah. Even take them abroad, just to take them to a different environment. So it appears that, you know, at least on that subject, Liverpool are thinking about that. But again, that's another one. You know, lower down the leagues, that's not going to be the case, exactly, is it? Yeah. And if you're out for six months, 12 months, ruminating at home, thinking about your next contract, thinking how you're going to pay the bills, that's a tough place to be. Yeah, and I think that's, that is the thing with, with football, is the fact that, you know, at the top, you know, most of these clubs have a psychologist or, or somebody that comes in, speaks to the players, and it's confidential. Or more often than not, these players are they can they can speak to someone at the club because you know their position at the club is pretty secure in that sense. Yeah. They've got a good contract, or they've had a good career already, and and they know that worst case they they can 
you know, sidestep or they can take a small step down and they're still going to be all right, they're still yeah. going to pay their bills, etc. The problem is, is that lower down, who's, who is there to protect you? Who, what do you do when all you have is, you know, the six months left you've got in the contract, you might get injured, you, you know, you might have problems at home, but you have to keep playing. All you know is that you need to keep playing because yeah. you need to earn new contracts. And if you don't get a new contract, then at the club that you're at, which might be a year, might be two years, you know, you don't get very long contracts in, you know, down the lower end. And then what? Yeah. And, and loans is another one, isn't it? I know you had the situation yeah. with that, but I, again, that's one I've always thought is potentially really strange. Like that, you know, one week you're turning up at Anfield, Melwood, whatever. Next week it's, well, pack your bags and we're sending it out on loan yeah. to X. And I know through reading your backstory that there's certainly a situation and you can't be alone in this where it was almost, no, you're going. Hmm. Go on loan <laughs> and you almost don't really have a choice in it. Again, that 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 that's really difficult to deal with mentally. Some of the stuff you touched on before about being alone in a in a strange place, in a different place, finding somewhere to live, etc., etc. Hmm. I mean, I've been on loan three times. That's that's not that many compared to a lot of other people. Hmm. And the first, obviously, to Tranmere was when I was 18. I think I went. I think it was deadline day for for loans or so. I can't even. I can't even remember that, it was that long ago. And when I, I was, I drove up there, I was staying in an Airbnb across the road from the stadium. Sorry, not an Airbnb, a, a bed and breakfast across the road from the, the stadium. And that was it, they just said, seen a, went in in the evening, signed my papers, showed me where I was staying, which it was a bed and the television and a bathroom. It said, see you in the morning. And that was it, and that is that is how it is. You know, I every other time it's just been, you know, either today, tomorrow, you're going. You know, the, my last time, obviously, to Northampton, mm. it, I was in London at. I was having dinner actually, or I was about to have dinner. It was about seven o'clock, and it was January, obviously deadline day, seven o'clock in the evening got a call saying do you want to go on loan which I didn't really want to to be honest because I had my, my I had a child on the way literally a, my missus was about to pop would have had to move home and I just thought well I, 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 I actually don't know what I want to do in this circumstance because I'm still injured um, I want to play I don't know what's going on this is just like and I just thought well all right, I decided at about nine o'clock, I think it was, something like that. And they, I think the window closed at 11. I got to Northampton, so I drove from Chiswick in London to Northampton. Got to North, the stadium about 10 to 11. And just, I, I literally barely spoke to the manager. Don't even, didn't even know what, what I was getting myself into, really. Mm. I just, just went, signed, and it was see you tomorrow. I mean, that's mad, isn't it? When you think about it, yeah. when, you put, when you put it in those and terms, I mean, you know, what, in what other sort of profession would you yeah. be subject to that, almost blindfolded about what your next yeah, job is? I didn't even really 
I didn't really have time of, to think about where I was even going to live, what I was going to do, how I was going to travel in. I just, because it came at me so quickly, I just thought, well, I, I'll just get it done. I didn't, I didn't even, you know, thinking about my injuries as well at the time, because I, I trained once in four months and it didn't go well. <laughs> no, I was, I was still injured and, and no, I, that, was, that wasn't even, that was in the back of my mind at that point because I thought, well, I, I don't know even know where I'm going to live. And I've got to be in training tomorrow. We've got a game in, in two days <laughs> and I don't even know what I'm, what I'm doing. Yeah, you, you can't expect to be in, the, in the, the greatest state of mind for that. That, that. that is wild when you put it like that. I mean, again, it's, it's very different, the different layers of football, though, isn't it? So we, we, we hear about now that, you know, the very top clubs employ people to make sure that when, when that situation happens, mm-hmm. someone helps them in terms of a house, where to live, school for the kids you know anything it seems up to you know change a light bulb whereas down the bottom it's fill your bag get in your car drive to the ground and yeah see you tomorrow mate yeah I mean I mean it's 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 still like that you know to, not right at the top but in a Premier, at Premier League clubs it'll still be like that for young players especially mm. going on loan I think well I think any player over a certain age you know if, you, if you're looking at someone in their mid-twenties and they're going on loan they're not really going to probably have anybody that is just going to say, yeah, we'll, we'll do this for you, do that for you. We're, looking, we're going to look after you. They'd say, well, you're, you're old enough player, you're on good money, do it yourself. So being a professional footballer is now behind you, Marvin, and you're yeah. moving on and you've got new projects. So tell us a little bit about that because one of the reasons we're, we're sat here now is, of course, that it's World Suicide Prevention Day on Tuesday, the 10th of September. It, you're doing something around that and it was that where this conversation came from yeah. that we, and that's why I'm here doing this podcast. So yeah. go on, tell us about what you're doing around that, mate. So um, I started a production company um, a few months ago with two friends, um, called 180 Productions, just based around creating video content and just all types of visual content, which we've been doing together for some time now. So I wrote a poem and created a short film for a poem called Dennis Prose, which I did with the, the two of those. And we worked on other things together and just decided to come together officially and, and you know do things on a bigger scale, bigger projects, more interesting projects, etc. And one of which is this campaign that we're doing for Calm, wanting to raise money, awareness um, for you know a very important cause and a great charity, I feel, as well. So we're doing a raffle, um, raffling eight football shirts that are very big names in one of which is a Liverpool player. And tickets are going to be five pounds we're going to donate 50 percent of proceeds to calm and that five pound ticket is literally that's it includes postage and packaging most of the shirts are framed as well which is was an expensive thing for me at the time. <laughs> um so yeah these are these are the players that i played with either with or against during my career and the reason why we're doing the raffles because it will engage a lot of football fans and football is you know um dominated by men it's it's a it's just the reality of it the industry is is majority masculine and so 
doing something that engages with a lot of men to talk about mental health. I mean, they may not talk about mental health, but the subject of mental health will come with this shirt raffle, which if it reaches enough people, then enough people will have that conversation. And, and even if it's just one person that it saves, then we've managed to do what we wanted to do. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, I, 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 think it's, I think it's fantastic that, you know, you sort of, it'd be very easy for you to, to walk away from it now, wouldn't it, really? I mean, and just mm. do something totally different with the fact that you want to carry on pushing this message, you know, using your story to hopefully help other people and now doing what you're doing. Um, for everyone who is listening, we will be pushing uh, the draw that Marvin's talking about. You can see it on his own Twitter as well as the Amphir apps uh, round about the time of the day that I mentioned there earlier on. Um, and just in general, Marvin, I mean, I, I know you're not a counsellor yourself, but I kind of think, you know, given what you've been through, given what we're talking about, and given the fact that, you know, I'm not spoiling any confidences here, but people have said to, to me personally and to other people involved in the Amphirap in the past that, you know, they've been through some dark days and that they've actually found podcasts to be really useful to them mm. because it's just something you can immerse yourself into, you can listen to and maybe forget about what else is going on in your head at that particular time. Obviously, you you know, you talked about playing the piano. For me personally, reading is a big thing. Mm. You know, I, I find reading just takes me away from anything else I might be worrying about at the time. But in general... For people who are listening and are maybe having some mental health troubles, what would be your, your general advice to them? Firstly, just speak to anybody that's close to you. you know, yeah. Whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member, partner, colleague, anybody who's close to you that you just can can talk to. Yeah. Just just tell them how you feel. Just whether that's indifferent, whether you're unsure, you know, I think as well. When, you, when the discussion of mental health comes about, people automatically just go straight to depression and suicide, always. Yeah. And you, you forget that it's a type of health. You know, so just as our physical health is, there's a scale. You know, you, you might just feel down. That is, you're suffering from poor mental health. You know, if you're feeling down for an extended period of time, you might not have depression, you might not be suicidal, but you're suffering from poor mental health. Yeah. So that's something that you need to understand discuss because there's you know, just because it's not as bad as somebody else doesn't mean that you shouldn't talk about it and talk about mm -hmm. how you feel you know the same way that if you had a cold you wouldn't you wouldn't just say i wasn't ill because that guy had pneumonia you know you you, you still discuss these yeah. things because that's that's how you feel and i think the first thing i'd encourage anybody to do is just have a chat with someone and then beyond that do what makes you happy and I mean I'm very fortunate that I'm in a quite privileged financial situation and many people aren't but I think when you're happy in life and yourself I think everything else falls into place and so even if the situation is tying you down financially and that's something that you have to commit to maybe have a look at what you can do to change that situation, even if it's something that happens slowly, find something that can set yourself a goal and work towards it slowly, and you'll find yourself becoming happier and happier as you get closer to that goal. What, what do you think as well about the other... Because I, I think... When I, when I listen to stuff about mental health or read stuff about mental health, very often, you know, you get the advice that you, you've talked about there. But I wonder, as someone, you know, you, you suffered with it, you've been open about your story, 
what's been good for you in terms of how other people have reacted so what and the reason i asked that question is so if someone's listening and maybe someone with a mental health issue goes to them yeah. how should that person react what 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 is a good way for, do you know what i mean so because because i've always thought you know if someone came to me I would definitely listen yeah. and I wouldn't judge and I would maybe say, you know, I'm not really in a position to help you beyond this, but I'm happy to always listen to you. But I'd almost be I'd almost be a bit like, well, what else can I do? Um, so and I don't feel that advice is out there enough. Mm. You know, so you see talk all the time, talk, 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 talk. Okay, but if you're the person being talked to, what should that person do? It's a really good question, actually. Um, I mean, it's, it's for, on the other side, side of things it's, it's difficult because yeah you know if somebody's you know un unloading their emotion onto you it's it can be emotion emotionally draining for you as well and it's sometimes it's difficult to even understand somebody's situation but it's just about being open and even just telling them how you feel yeah you know, telling them how you feel whether that's what makes you happy and you say why it makes you happy now, I had a conversation with some people just talking about football, and they said, isn't it strange that football is such a masculine industry and, and people don't talk about mental health, you know, but mine's a ch the, you know, the chosen charity for mental health, and how, how do we get football fans engaged with, you know, discussing mental health and emotion, things like that? I said, well, funny enough, ask them, what does football mean to them? What does football mean to you? Yeah. What does that's that's a common ground for every football fan, you know, most which is most men in this country. How does football make you feel? How does how did even if you're speaking to Liverpool man, how did the Champions League final make you feel? How did winning that final make you feel? How did Steven Gerrard retire make you feel? So some people might feel feel really sad or really emotional, and you know whether that's you talking about how something external made you feel and somebody talking about something external internal made them feel you've got common ground because you're just talking about in as a knock-on effect how you feel personally mm. and it feels good doesn't it as well if you speak to someone and you just get a bit of reassurance and it's it's good i mean it's an absolute cliche but it it, it genuinely it genuinely is good to talk isn't it to yeah. get it off your chest i think it's not just swirling around in your head you've now told someone they didn't they didn't run away mm. you know they, they're still your friend or they're still part of your family or whatever and, and that, that that that's why we keep saying talk i mean i've just sort of criticized that a little bit but that's why we say to talk though isn't it because it genuinely does feel better to, to do so doesn't it yeah i mean it's just it's literally just feels like you're you know, taking that weight off your shoulders and then, and somebody else is, is helping you carry it and, and figure out a way to to make it a bit lighter. You know, it, having these conversations are just so important. And I think the one thing that is normally the toughest is when you first have that conversation, how, how are people going to change how they are towards me or how are people going to take it? I thought that myself mm. and... I've never had any negativity in that from that perspective. I've had a lot of people from all walks of life talk to me about their own feelings, their own emotions, mm. their own highs, their own lows. Some people have thanked me. Um, I've had people in my industry also say they feel the same or similar. And I've had a lot of discussions with a lot of people. 
I mean, I've not, I've not been able to reply to a lot of people because I've, I've had so many people, mm. you know, having come to me and have this discussion, which <laughs> I'm a bit disappointed that, that I've, I've not found the time to be able to reply to everyone, but you know, I, I, I speak to 10 people and 50 more people, you know, contact me and I, you know, it's for me, he's one person and being a father of two, a husband and yeah. doing everything I'm doing in life, it's, 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 you know, time is something that I don't have a lot of, but still it's only, it's, it's only been positive and so I can only encourage more people to just have that discussion and I think the fact that, because the way I've had it has just been just frank really, just honest and just said, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> this is how I feel. There, there isn't anything around it other than this is just my emotion. This is just it as it is. And you know, it's not be sympathetic, empathetic. It's not dislike me. It's not like me. It's just this is just what it is. Yeah. And that's who I am. And you know, I think in this very digital age where things are very much fake and fabricated people still connect with human emotion more than anything and so if you're if you're just being you know just yourself and portraying your real emotions then you're going to have a lot of people that are warming to that absolutely yeah well said and i think it's brilliant what you're doing as well mate like i say i think i think it would have been very easy to just you know as you as you said yourself you know footballers do make a lot of money you've you've probably made decent money from the game but the fact that you want to continue to you know spread this message get involved with the likes of calm and and doing what you're doing i think it's absolutely brilliant and that's why the anfield app is supporting what marvin's doing so as i say keep an eye out for that on our twitter on marvin's twitter do what you can and um i i know the secret liverpool player that he's got the shirt off and uh, it would be well worth your time to buy a ticket for a fiver so so do so because it would look fantastic on your wall uh, Marvin thanks very much for your time mate thank you uh, and anything else the Anfield app can ever do get in touch Sports Social Podcast Network